Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Good Trouble, the podcast where we connect with the movers and shakers in the world that we're trying to create. Um, my name is Gregory Ball. I am director of Embrace Ideas for King Boston, and I am here with my good friend, Reggie Williams. Reggie? What's up, everyone? Reggie Williams here, director of communications at the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center. Mass Budget, great to be here with you, brother. Yes, and today our guest is an artist who is um, definitely making an impact here in the Boston area. Um, definitely somebody I've, I've come to consider a friend. And he is also, in my role at King Boston, he's actually one of the first moves that I made as, as uh, one of the first uh, interactions I've made in the role um, as one of our inaugural group of King Boston artists and residents. Um, Danny Rivera is a uh, singer, a songwriter, a producer, an artist in, in every way, shape, or form, and an activist. He, he has a, a through line of, of connection to the community in, his, in the work that he creates. And today we're going to talk to him about his work and the work um, and, the, and the challenges he faces um, as he's crafting and building uh, an artistic career for himself. So, Danny, please you know, join us and uh, everyone welcome Danny Rivera to the podcast. Thanks so much, Greg, and uh, a pleasure to be with you and Reggie and everyone who's watching and listening. Uh, you know, I, I, I often listen to podcasts um, and I'm a super huge fan of the recent one that Ta-Nehisi Coates did with Between the World and Me. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be uh, finally kind of doing my first podcast here. <laughs> oh, man. See, now you just raised the bar that we had to be as good as Ta-Nehisi Coates. Yeah, we got to get that music in. We got to do all that. <laughs> oh, you're just you're doing too much. All right, I can just tell already where we're going. So, Denny, let's let's start let's start at the beginning. You know, I know that you are a graduate of our Boston Arts Academy, and that um, you know, you obviously while in your during your time there, you um built on your art, artistic endeavors. But I know that your artistic story starts well before you walked the halls of BAA. Tell us how you first discovered or connected with the idea of yourself being an artist? Yeah, I mean, well, singing in church, I don't really think is what makes you an artist. Um, uh, I think, you know, it's just you singing in church, volunteering, and, and that's really kind of where music started for me. I started singing at five, and um, I come from, although my family is very creative and uh, I give them, you know, all the credit, especially my parents for birthing me. Uh, no one is really in my immediate family super artistic, um, so I really kind of, uh, you know, uh, started singing at five and, and was really kind of like poured into and, and mentored by, uh, Berkeley musicians who were playing at my church on Sunday mornings. So it was really, you know, it was my parents too, who were nurturing me and giving me pianos and guitars and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I really kind of began the process of, of, finding and cultivating this love for music um, by watching those who are older than me play these songs and, and singing this music. Um, and that kind of evolved. And I tried other art forms. I tried, you know, theater, I tried visual art, um, you know, sculpting, a number of other things, but it just came back to music as being kind of the main source for me of where I could truly express myself. And so uh, I started to engage in social justice work in middle school at the Cambridge Friends School in Cambridge, uh, um, a private Quaker school, which is a huge culture shift for me, but it really was kind of where my uh, social justice uh, 
uh, movement building, table shaking spirit kind of uh, began. Um, and then when I got to Boston Arts Academy right after middle school, you know, like that mixed in with my love and desire uh, for vocal music and, and songwriting. And, and uh, you know, by the time I got to my junior and senior year of high school, I was beginning the process of bridging the gap between the both because I knew that I couldn't pick one. And, you know, people were tell and still tell me to this day, pick one or the other. And I can't seem to do it. Um, and, you know, I cry over it. Like I cried this week over it, you know, because it's it, sometimes it's overwhelming to to not necessarily know what your path is. Um, but it's also uh, very encouraging and a beautiful thing, um, you know, a beautiful evolution because you can um, and I have begun the process of accepting the fact that my journey is different. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, um, all of that work led me to even right now, but, you know, Boston Arts Academy really was kind of, uh, um, played a huge, huge role in, and, you know, to who I am at least, uh, today on, on, uh, you know, recording on June 25th is who I am right now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that, that you're, you're still feeling that tug, uh, and people are telling you that you have to, you know, take one path or the other, because I think that we're at a very interesting time for artists where the world is open to you. And it's, it's really, it's less about you trying to fit into a mold than more than you finding the, uh, the people who want to hear what you have to say. Like, you know what I mean? There, there's, I believe that there's an uh, audience for everyone. It's just a matter of how large that audience is and what it's going to take you to get in front of them. But I don't necessarily feel like it's, it's the old days, like, oh, you don't have a hit record, kid. You can't do it. Right. But, you know, there's a there's songs that come out now where I'm like, this I know I'm like, there's no way in the world somebody would have signed this, you know, ten years ago. They're, yeah, they're, you would have got laughed out of the office, and it would be the biggest record in the world because it blew up on TikTok or it, you know what I mean. So there's more than one path, and it's interesting, even hearing you talk about the the idea of having to choose um, that path in terms of your, your messaging. Is that, has that been a, a thing that you've been um, dealing with lately where people are saying, Hey, kind of cool out on the, on the social justice stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm also learning, like, to your point, what it means to be an artist in this day and age. I mean, there are a lot of parallels to, you know, one of my favorite movements, the civil rights movement. You can see, you know, like the Nina Simones and the and the James Baldwins and the, and the, the, the plethora of artists who were doing the same work. Um, but it was definitely a different time. And, uh, you know, but uh, so many so many parallels and things that we can, uh, you know, kind of relate to. But also it's like what it means to be an artist in this day and age is completely different. Um, and yeah, I've had people tell me I need to slow down even when it comes to, uh, you know, I don't like politics. You know, this is not about politics it's about people. Um, but sometimes you have to engage in the system in order to dismantle it. And even in, in, in regards to that, you know, some people were, some of my friends were even making remarks being like, you're not a singer anymore. You're like, you're like the governor. And I'm like, no, like I, I can't afford to just make music. And I, you know, I just began writing again, which feels so good now that I have some free time on my hands, but I can't sit here and write music and ignore people dying in these streets. Like, I can't sit here and people don't know where the money is going to come from to pay their light bill because it's so expensive to live in Boston, right. Or to pay their rent or trying to find a place to live because you know, whatever the reason is like, 
I, I can't find it in myself to ignore that or to, or not ignore it, but even like put it at the back burner. And so even in my conversations with, you know, uh, people on my team who are supporting me and figuring out, well, how do you brand yourself, Danny? Or how do you move and navigate through this space or catapult off of this moment and the momentum behind the music and in your impact, you know, it's always been a question of what takes the back burner. I'm like, either one can't, you know, my music is just as important because it sustains me. It heals me. It helps me grow just as much as my social justice work, which helps others, including myself. So, you know, and sometimes I'm a curator. I'm not even the one singing. I might be directing a choir. I might be just curating an event and, and creating room and space for other artists to come in. And, you know, those are things that you usually see with well-established artists, but they establish, they establish themselves as an artist first. And then all of that stuff came after, then the philanthropy came after, then the community engagement work came after. And I'm in this interesting place because I'm, I'm, you know, attempting to do it all at one time. So, you know, I've had people tell me that I, I, uh, I'm not an artist or, or, you know, you're not really doing the thing. And, and uh, sometimes I believe them, but I, I try and root myself and ground myself um, in, in my work, but also in looking at what history has shown me and those who are most successful are those who are unapologetic in their pursuit. And so I lean on and I stand on the shoulders of James. I stand on the shoulders of Nina. I stand on the shoulders of, of Dr. King and, and others and Coretta Scott, who even, you know, her using her, her music and art um, as a tool for social change. I stand on their shoulders. I lean on them for support. I think that's an incredibly powerful uh, statement, Danny. You know, as we talk about things like King Boston's embrace, and as we talk about embracing new ideas, and you touched a little bit on how you have to get bridge that gap between your skills and your interests. And as a multidisciplinary singer, songwriter, producer, community activist, what are some ways that you refill your well? What are some ways in which you recharge while, you know, as a, as a historian of everything that we're living through in this moment with the pandemic, with the racial reckoning that we're seeing in America, how do you keep yourself going and flowing in, in times that are quite difficult? Yeah, it's ever evolving and changing. I find out that uh, certain things that worked for me two months ago in a certain situation don't work for me now in my in my current one. Um, but I usually lean on on my faith um, and I pray. I meditate. Um, you know, I I spend time in in deep reflection. Um, you know, even I have two pictures in my bedroom and. Um, uh, of my great, great grandmother and my great, great, great grandmother on my mother's side. Um, and uh, I had searched for those pictures. Uh, I don't even know the name of my great, great, great grandmother, but, uh, you know, I have a picture of her and she's in my room. I, I, again, like I said, I reflect on, on those who have come before me and that gives me strength. It gives me power. It fuels me, um, in ways that I can, um, cannot imagine. Um, you know, and I always, I always have to give credit to, uh, you know, uh, watching choir videos, old choir videos from the nineties. I'll blast that in my room when I'm stressed out. That'll help me out. Um, sometimes I'll lay on the ground just so I can ground myself. Like literally like we'll just lay on the floor. Um, and then, you know, other days I'll completely disconnect, um, and book a hotel at, you know, some, some place and just try and get away, turn my phone off. So there are a number of things that, you know, keep me, um, sane and uh still living um in in these unprecedented times and unpredictable times but um yeah it's, it's always changing always evolving and growing and i always love hearing from other people and what they do too because sometimes that can be the thing that saves me 
Hey man, look, got me about to sing how excellent I've been here. You know, <laughs> definitely appreciate you. I say choir back. Okay. So, you know, it's in those moments, they really help fuel the faith needed to, you know, find that resilience within oneself, especially when it seems like people don't really care that much whether we live or not, you know, just in support yeah. of the movement for black lives. And as you know, you touched a little bit on government, you know, a lot of folks are tired of the status quo establishment politics that we're seeing uh, across the nation, also more locally here in Massachusetts and in Boston, and folks are really crying out for our elected officials to hear us and to make sure that our voices are elevated. Any thoughts on how government, local, state, or federal can really help better support artists and creatives in this moment? I think back to uh, when uh, Congresswoman Presley brought the Congressional Black Caucus to Boston. And uh, we were sitting actually in the boiling building upstairs and, and I can't remember the exact room, the meeting space, shared space. And, uh, you know, Ayana said, no way that we can say we want local artists to be in Boston. We want murals, we want performances, and we can't provide live work artist space for these artists. And not just for themselves, but for the artists and their families. Um, you know, I believe that you know, even just, even in my observations, the amount of art that I've seen in certain neighborhoods that are done, especially by people of color, but black, you know, African-American people in particular, a lot of that art that's in those places, those artists can't even afford to live in those neighborhoods. How sickening is that? Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, we need to kind of uh, destigmatize, uh, especially when it comes to artists having to be poor or right, like having to work a day job. Artists should not have to work day jobs. They should be able to do their art full time. And so that comes by opportunity. It comes by creating and sanctioning more spaces, like the work that King Boston is even doing and the Boston Foundation, but creating spaces and opportunities, giving grants and, and funding to support artists so that they can indulge in their endeavors, whether it is art that will be profitable or not. Not all art you'll make money off of, and that's okay because art is a form of healing. It's a tool to help you um, heal and restore yourself. Um, so, you know, I think that there definitely needs to be more support and not just for visual artists. As much as I love visual artists, there are a whole bunch of performing artists as well. Um, and even storytellers who write uh, stories and books and poetry that uh, aren't even as supported uh, as some of these artists who are creating murals. And um, that's no shade or sunshine, but it's just the reality of our system. And, and the system says, well, how can I profit off of this person? And we oftentimes know that performing art is not something that can stay in one place. It's always moving. It's ever changing. And, you know, if you capture it, it's usually on video or audio, which you have to go and search for in comparison to a mural that can be on a wall or that can attract more people or get more tourists um, to come to Boston. You know, so it's, it's, it is, you know, what can these artists do for the city, but what can the city do for us? And it's about time that we start asking unapologetically for live work artist space, for, for more accessibility, and not just for live work artist space to be living in somebody's apartment. I want to own a house. 
I want to own a house in Roxbury. I want to own a house in JP. I want to own a house in, in you know, the neighborhoods that I'm creating and, and sanctioning this art in. Um, so I, I think that there needs to be way more support. And, you know, my two cents on this mayoral race and even the city council race, and I'm, and I'm going to keep it here because I'm not doing politics, but I do believe that, you know, the only way that people win these campaigns is through their marketing. It's through the messaging and how things are packaged. So you're using these artists, but you don't even have a strategy for, for what arts and culture is supposed to be like. I believe, and, and I'm going to encourage, you know, just as someone who um, loves the arts and loves people, um, and, and I, I'm encouraging for all of those who are running for anything to make sure that there is a strategic plan for arts and culture in the city of Boston, not just to advance the city, but to advance the people who live in it. So that's what I'll say on arts and culture and government and all that's encompassed in that. Um, but, you know, I have high hopes. And I, like I said to uh, uh, Crystal Haynes on, on Fox 25 preparing for a BAMS Fest interview that uh, we artists should not have to leave uh, Boston. We shouldn't have to go to L.A. or Atlanta. Uh, Boston is where it's at, truly. And we can build this city up uh, just as we have built it up for the, the medical support and the hospitals and the lawyers and the education. We can do the same thing for the arts. And that's putting arts back in schools. That's what Boston Arts Academy is all about, putting the arts back in arts education and making sure that that is even there. Because that it that is a, a tool and, and a very helpful in navigating through student and their mental health. So these are conversations conversations and, and, and that we should be having across the board because art is going to play a role in everything. And I think that's what we need to uh, kind of realize that, you know, art is not just to, to en enjoy it, but art is really can be mobilized if it's being done in the right way, used for the right reasons with the right intentions can be used to help people wherever they are. And when we, we talking about you and your artistry, what do you have, um, how would you describe your music? So let's let's get to that. Um, I know that it's, it's I know that most artists love to say I have without genre, without boundaries. But at least tell me the the, the roots in the in the the building blocks, the foundation of the music that you're creating. I studied pop records um, in high school, top to bottom, formulas and how to write songs, because I I told myself I wanted to become a better songwriter. Um, and there's not one song. I, I have a song pulled up right in front of me that I'm writing. I've called five people and I've played them the hook. And I said, if you can't sing this back to me, I'm throwing it in the trash because I want people to remember my music. Um, so I would say a lot of my music is influenced and has a base foundation of popular music. Um, but it's also intertwined with soul and R and B and, um, you know, I would even say some indie, some indie, some ambient kind of vibe. So, uh, but for the most part, I think, you know, whether I'm singing a rock song or uh, a jazz standard, I'm going to sing it with soul. And um, that soul is, is again, what was initiated when I was five years old in church. Um, can't control it. I'm going to give you all the vibrato that I got. <laughs> I might scream and holler and say, I need you to sing along with me. But that's what I, I love so much about uh, my performances and just playing with people in the room. Cause it's a, it's an experience that requires everyone to engage. If you are not engaging with me, like if you are not singing with me or clapping with me, or, you know, like when I break the music, I don't hear you sing. We're not going to have fun. Um, I know you came to see me, but I came to see you. 
you know? Um, so I would say it's, it's very much rooted in that traditional, um, soulful, uh, vibe that is classic and, um, you know, familiar, but there's also aspects to it that you don't usually see or hear, especially coming from a, a young black man. So, uh, that's how I would describe my music and just the whole experience that's encompassed in the work that I, uh, produce. So when you, when, what are you working on now? I heard you say earlier that you, you know, you had started getting back into writing your, your mind is getting freed up to be creative. And I, I know that there are those times when you're so caught up in everything else in your life, oh yeah, you can't even take the time to just stop and be creative. And I know that it is so important to, to create that space. So it sounds like you're starting to create that space for you. What are you working on? man? give us a sneak peek. <laughs> You don't have to play anything, but you know, just give us an idea of where you're going. Yeah. Well, I'm writing music for myself. Okay. Um, I'm not writing it with the intent of unnecessarily pleasing other people. And while I do call people to ask them if they can sing the hook back, um, you know, uh, I'm writing what I'm feeling. I'm writing based off of experiences that I never really got to heal from. So I'm going back and I'm, I'm saying, what did I miss in this relationship? Or what did I miss in this situation that I can reflect on and resolve so that I can fully be whole? Um, so I'm going back and writing about, um, you know, relationships with friends and with um, people that I had crushes on and, uh, you know, just uh, going back and, 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 and um, you know, really reflecting on, on all of that. And then also reflecting on my, my present and where I'm at now and exploring my identity and the layers and complexity of what it means to be just me, humanity, just in my fullness, um, color aside, race aside, um, all of that stuff aside, what is it just to be Danny? Um, and certain things, I don't know. I wrote a song and it's like, um, it was filled with questions. Do I know myself? And I repeated that like 10 times because I truly don't know sometimes if I do, but living is all about figuring it out. So, I mean, um, definitely can send you some uh, stuff, but uh, you know, that's, that's really what I'm, I'm doing right now. I'm going back in time, thinking about those moments and then simultaneously while I'm doing that, I'm also taking and drawing upon things that I'm feeling right now. Mm. So good. That means it sounds like, it, it sounds like there's a project on the way or at least the beginnings of a project that are on the way. Is that I'm banging them out. I've written three songs within the past two weeks. So, so, um, and that's with so much going on. So now that things have really slowed down and I have summer to just breathe, I am hopeful to have, uh, more time. Well, how, how important is it for you to go out and kind of experience life, though? Because I know that most of the songwriters that I know, artists as, as a whole, myself as an artist, you have to go out and be in the world. Like we were talking before we, we went on air, we were talking about our, our, the plans for the weekend. And part of that is so that I have something to draw inspiration from when I go to do the next two or three things that I do. So how important is it for you to do that? And do you think you can do that in Boston? Is, is Boston conducive to you going out and living the creative life that you, you need? <laughs> like that one, Reggie? I see you. you see not, what, not when you have to work 90 hours a week to afford one day from a fair market rent, but we're right. not going to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh... 
That's a, a really good question. I think I find it um, in moments. I don't always get it. Um, so some of my, even my writing is based off of circumstances and experiences that I may have not experienced, but that's what comes with being a songwriter. Right. But I have definitely tried to, uh, uh, explore what it would be like to travel to different places. And I'm even looking at, you know, love Boston, but sometimes you just need to fully disengage and go somewhere where you've never been on land territory that doesn't belong to you, um, and see what spirit gives you then. So I'm looking into some places, some cool, like hotels that are also studios kind of like do the living and just the breathing and resting, but also can just like pick up a guitar and a pen and start just bleeding, um, you know, bleeding what comes out of my veins and my soul. So, um, yeah, but that's a really good question. And I should probably get more out there, but you know, this whole one night in Boston weekend and Juneteenth weekend really kind of opened my eyes because I was seeing everybody like black Boston was like live and in action. So that was really refreshing to see and, um, you know, to be around people in community. So I, you know, it is possible to be able to have those experiences here in Boston. And I'm, I'm grateful to the leadership of countless community members and constituents who are, are committed to creating those spaces, um, and to the city and others who are working, you know, within the system to also help curate and support that work. You know, it's interesting, Danny. I love that as you talk about this, we'll call it a beloved community being out and about for one night in Boston for Juneteenth. And, you know, for the viewers and the listeners who can't see Danny sure you know, it says, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Like to reimagine and to envision what the wildest dream that you have as an artist, as a creative, as a community member for, for the Commonwealth of Boston, like what would you say that looks like? How, how would you envision how that would take shape? That's the question and thought that I have been um, really thinking about a lot. And that's why for anyone who's curious, I haven't put in my bid to run for mayor. <laughs> but I do know, I do know one thing and that at every grassroots level with every movement, with every goal and desire, art must be involved. Creativity must have no bounds, um, no restraints. I don't know if there is a A plus B equals C solution, but I do know that um, integrity tied with art equals success. And so if there is more integrity, more love in the words of Dr. King and John Lewis, because hate is too heavy a burden to bear, tied in with creativity and, uh, and bringing in the perspectives of those who have been left behind, um, I, I truly do believe that there is room for everything that we desire. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think like you said, integrity plus art equals success. When we know that artists are again, the historians and also the soothsayers in a lot of sense, like how we are able to move forward and to work through a lot of the trauma, the stress, the anxiety that we face across the world, you know, but like more specifically here in greater Boston, Massachusetts, you know, like the perception of Boston for people of color is not the best. Um, the perception of the arts and culture scene for Boston also not the best. And but we're here. We're here and we're out, you know, creating, thriving, transforming public spaces, convening, bringing folks together, engaging, you know, across like on, in a multidisciplinary stance. And it's like it's just such a hard 
kind of uphill battle to keep that narrative consistently shifting towards a more diverse perspective so that folks can really understand that there's a lot to offer if you just look around and you see what what the real Boston looks like, you know, the other Boston, which is not often seen from a media perspective. But uh, there is hope um, with folks like yourself and other community members and organizations who keep fighting and showing us with your talent how how Boston and you know Massachusetts can really uh, become that destination. And I heard I think Rex said he has a, an album on the way, so we might be able. We, he has a new project coming out, so we'll see what what Mr. Ball is putting out into the ether soon. No, I'm talking about Danny's project, not my album. Slow down. We're not putting an album out with Greg. Well, the universe is ready. Come on, Greg. No, listen, the last thing we want to do is hear me sing and or rap. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so we started talking about that, um, about that, having that ecosystem. I know for, for, for myself at, um, at, in my role at, at King Boston, it's, it's very, very important to really be supporting the creation of an ecosystem that allows artists like you to flourish. Um, do you think currently Boston has that, that infrastructure necessary to do so? I know we talked about it a little bit before, but I mean, do you, and do you think those pieces are in place or, or eventually can be in place with the right leadership? I think it's a work in progress. I think that there's certain things that Boston has pinned down, but also I don't feel like there has been enough. I mean, just the nature of our society says that in order to get something, you must give something. And I think that with artists, there is, there are plenty of opportunities to um, receive funding and um, give this more qualitative um, kind of just like art kind of, and present it as kind of what the product that came out of this grant funding um, that then a foundation or a, a group can use as kind of uh, a way to market and, and, and bring in more income um, or more business or um, create a better platform. I don't think that there is um, uh, enough even funding where it's just take it and, and just take it. You know, I think that when we get to a point where we're comfortable with, um, supporting artists without motives, um, supporting and, and uh, providing necessary resources to schools without expecting, um, you know, a certain thing from, from those situations or from, from whatever it is. I think that that will then help us. Um, so it's, it's kind of, you know, dismantling the conditioning that has been placed on all of us, which is very much rooted in colonization and white supremacy and always needing something in return. Um, I think that we have a strong foundation and there is room and possibility for us to get to where we want to be. And there's certain neighborhoods that I experience it in more than others. I was at the seaport, you know, uh, for a few days this past week and felt completely different than what I, what I feel like here at home in Mattapan. Um, the art that was there, the community that was there, the yoga on a Sunday morning, free in, in one of these parking lots with the fake grass and the beautiful lights. Even when it comes down to the culture aspect of things, uh, why is that not in every neighborhood? Where's the equity in the arts, right? And, and equity screams, here it is 
take it, preserve it, keep it. That's what restorative and transformative work looks like in community and um, without expecting something in return. Um, and I think that if we begin the process of, of leaning into a more purified, more integrity-based um, just intent, I think that there is a better possibility for us to expand upon and build on this foundation that we already have. Because a lot of this work that we're doing right now, let's be honest, we've been doing for the past 10, 15 years. You know, I mean, obviously there are new aspects of it, but this is just the same stuff. It's the same cycle that we see time and time again, a new nonprofit, a new organization, a new initiative with the same purpose. Why haven't we progressed? Why haven't we progressed? And I think it's because we need a shift in perspective. But again, that's not going to come by one person. I don't care who's the mayor. I don't care who's the new governor. I don't care who is your, your U.S. representative or who is your community liaison. It starts with you. And, and so it is, it is in part listening to community members to hear what they want, what they need, and say, here it is, no strings attached. Reggie, I have a question for you. Maybe you can help us illuminate this kind of, as we're talking about the arts as the foundation, like, is there a direct link or has that been some, some of the stuff you've seen in your work where there's a link between a robust artist community and, you know, other economic things? Has that been some of the things that you got, you all are looking at over at Mass Budget? Yeah, so at Mass Budget, you know, we focus on, what sounds very wonky, but state fiscal and budget policy. So to Danny's point around, you know, equity, equity requires investment. And one of the things that we're focused on at Mass Budget is how we can make the stamp, the state budget really symbolize and be a beacon for anti-racism here in the Commonwealth and how we invest in programs that fund, you know, education opportunities and transportation and housing support and making sure that we're really able to close those economic gaps for individuals of all races and ethnicities of all gender orientations and identities. Definitely, I would say to your question directly, Greg, absolutely. When you invest in the arts and the, and the commonwealth, you make for a more robust society because everyone has what they need. Um, you know, looking at the loss of revenue just given the pandemic to, you know, tourism and hospitality industries across the commonwealth, our small businesses and our creatives have been hurting, you know, over the past, what, 16 months now at this point. And as we start to reopen as, and as we start to see outside opening up and folks are, you know, flocking to the streets and excited to get back out there, the recovery can't just be in this moment because we were already historically underfunded. Uh, artists were already not being made whole by local governments, by local budgets, by the state budget. And there are a lot of resources that great folks out there like Mass Creative and Mass Cultural Council have been able to really uh, dig deeper into that analysis on where the funding is going and, and tracking the legislative debate seeing how, you know, about $20 million or so was recently allocated as we're moving towards conference committee, we're moving towards the final step of finalizing the state budget, how that money flows out into the communities with Boston, uh, you know, Worcester, Springfield, Holyoke, the gateway cities, a lot of these, a lot of these local communities also still need a massive amount of investment to be able to overcome the hurdles that they were already facing. Um, I was actually <laughs> going to ask them, like, how do we get to the point where we make sure that folks are trusting of government? You know, like with the, PP, the PPP loan applications and everything else, like there are a lot of ways in which our people, our artists, our creatives from our diaspora haven't been able to access a lot of these opportunities to make it through this moment and have had to shift out of the creative industry to Danny's point earlier about types of work that you have to fulfill in order to actually put 
food on the table to keep your lights on? Like, how do we get more folks engaged in the process so that everyone is engaged to make sure that equity is attainable for folks? And I'd love both of your perspectives on that because we're we're out here, you know, trying to sell the the budget goodness, but it, we understand that it takes a lot of work and investment to make sure that people really understand and trust that their elected officials and the folks representing them here in the Commonwealth and in Washington will have their best interests at heart. I think a, I think a couple of things, and I'll let Danny, because he's truly in the fight as an artist, um, jump in as well. But I think a couple of things will help um, that trust and building that gap. One, I think we're seeing not only in, in politics, but in our nonprofit sector and, and a variety of business sectors, we're seeing a little bit of a changing of the guard, you know, and I think that will help a great deal simply because the people that are coming into, into these positions now are not necessarily carrying themselves and operating the same way as before. Like I can go to like the Donna Summer event where they, they had the other night and there's a shot that you might see Julia Mejia in the crowd dancing. Not because she's running for election, not because because she's that's truly an activity that she would enjoy and she's a part of the community and she's out enjoying it as a community member. And she's also as a community member that works for the community in her role as a city councilor. And I think there and it's not to say that, you know, that hasn't necessarily been the case before where that um our electeds may have wanted to do that, but I think more so people are feeling a little bit more of a freedom to truly go out and, and engage and connect and, you know, and do that. And when you see that level of humanity with folks, I think that opens that door for a little bit more of that. I know that, um, you know, anytime you go through a, a situation yourself, it definitely makes that, um, it, it crystallizes the, the difficulties and challenges a little bit more for you, just like if you go through the positives of something as well. So if you're seeing somebody side by side with you, you know, I think you'll see that. So like I said, there's a, a, a change whether, you know, you know, from Dr. Pelton taking over the the Boston Foundation to, you know, Imari being in, in his space, Lisa Owens, you know, um, Eric Estevez, like there's all these different people. Shoot, even as far as is, is Mayor Janie just sitting in office, whether it's for this short time or whether it is for the long term, if she if she gets elected, I think we're at we're just at a very change. We're at a, a changing point. We're at that. We're at this nexus point where all these things are coming together, and I think people are presenting and showing up. Electeds um, and leaders are are presenting and showing up in a, in a lot of um, a very different way. Go ahead, Danny. Feel free to jump in. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I definitely um, I'm grateful for the uh, the AOCs and um, uh, countless others, um, but also I'm grateful for my generation who normally doesn't get the credit that they deserve. And um, I'm not being biased in this moment, but I really am from a, a, a space of reflection, really thinking about how uh, we have not... Um, praised and uplifted these civic leaders in ways that um, would uh, cause for the cycle to continue. But we have raised them and put them on the platform um, 
And uh, side by side with that platform is a level of accountability and integrity and truth. And, you know, my generation in particular is desperate for real change, systemic change, long-term change. And we're just figuring out more and more that that change cannot happen with phony business. It can't happen with fake people. It cannot uh, be done by those who don't have lived experience, you know? And, and like Ayana says, the people closest to the pain should be closest to the power. And as we continue to move in this direction, we'll see more and more elected officials and people who will be voting into offices, um, whether at the local or the federal uh, level or, you know, like national, like whatever that is, whatever level it is, you know, we're going to see and, 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 you know, sometimes second guess myself, this person is my Congress woman. This person is my, my state rep, but they look like this and they sound like this. Yeah. They look like you and they sound like you because they're fighting for you with you beside you, defending you um, and making sure that your voice is heard. So if you want to speak on your own behalf, there's room and a space for you to do so a chair at the table for you to pull up and come and sit down and have that conversation. So, you know, I'm grateful for that, but I really, you know, don't know if, uh, you know, without my generation, um, and please hear me for all of my elders. I'm, I'm not saying or discounting anyone else's work. I really am not. Um, because, you know, um, you know, all work that has happened, it's just, uh, it's just, um, you, you know, yeah, all, I'm, all I'm saying is that in, in the most humblest way, I truly believe that this grassroots movement that is really fueled by young, vibrant uh, leaders and community members, um, you know, side by side with those elders and those who have paved the way for us and blazed the trail is really what's changing everything. And I'm grateful for it. Um, and, and it's about time. It is about time. Thank you. Uh, to pivot a little bit, you know, I love I love that you mentioned having a seat at the table and, you know, like making sure that we are working in a multi-generational perspective to bring our voices and our power collectively together to make sure that we're improving our current state of affairs. Any thoughts, any, any type of closing thoughts on ways that, you know, we can bring other folks up into the conversation? Like how do we work in support of like closing the gaps for the younger generation of children who are starting to experience movement in a very different way, you know, as digital natives, you know, with the TikTok challenges and all the ways in which folks get engaged, you know, thinking like voter registration, like any other thoughts on how we can, and how we can make sure that they are here with us having a seat in learning and being able to apply those learnings real time. Absolutely. I'm going, I'm going to go back to what Dr. Lee Pelton said at, at, um, at an event. He said, it's not, the achievement gap, it's the opportunity gap. And for those who have the opportunity, it is our job, it is our civic duty and responsibility, especially us as artists, to create more accessibility and opportunity for those who have been often left out of the picture. Um, you know, I, I, right before the pandemic hit, I was traveling around to a whole bunch of elementary, Boston public school, elementary schools and teaching about the power of art as a tool for social change. And, you know, we were singing the song that I wrote for the Congresswoman for her campaign and, and really trying to just engage them in this work to let them know that it is a better world is possible, that we can achieve justice, that we can be whole, that we can lead with love. And, you know, some of the teachers were looking at me like I was crazy because I was saying this stuff to five and six year olds, but I had video footage to prove that that resonated with them because I had a teacher send me a text almost four weeks after I was there. By that time, 
by that time she sent me that we were maybe a month away from the shutdown. So things were getting ready. We didn't know, but things were, you know, uh, you know, just getting ready to, to make its way to an end. And she sent me a video of a young girl singing the song saying, we stand as thousands, our voice resounding. It's our time. We're on our way up. Now that resilience that was birthed, just think, and no one had control over this. This is divine and just so beautiful. But just to think that that resilience and that love and that hope and that action that was birthed almost two months before the pandemic hit, I'm sure without a shadow of a doubt was the thing that sustained half more than half of those kids, teachers and their families throughout this pandemic, which, you know, brings me to my closing statement that, you know, when, when everything shut down, who did we go to? We ran to the artists. We ran to the, the live Instagram videos and the verse challenges and, and all of these things. And I'm reminded, I wrote a song, my first song that I released, Gravity. And it was, you know, speaking about being in a space that I really had no, no hope. I didn't know where I was going, no guidance. And I, I felt like I was at my lowest point. Um, I released the song and I heard, I got a text message, not a text, a DM on, on one of my social one of the platforms and it was a young lady who said, um, uh, and this is two, maybe two months after I released it, but I, I had a knife in my hand. I was getting ready to kill myself and your song came up on a Pandora playlist and I put the knife down. Um, I don't know who this woman is from Adam and I, I can look and see if I can find the message, but it was so long ago, you know, but it, that has stuck with me to this day. And before I play most shows, um, especially on a larger platform where you can get caught up in the fame and the lights and all of this stuff, I share that with my band to let them know that music has a message. It has purpose and it can literally save someone's life. So many people, you know, were at the brink of giving up and it was music that sustained them. And I don't know, you know, if I'll ever bump into that, that young lady and, you know, she may even listen into this, but, you know, I'm encouraged and inspired by that testimony and, you know, am really hopeful um, and committed to art because I know that it has the power to heal people and help people in their struggling and uh, to help them resist the urge to want to give in. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to King Boston and the work that is, is happening to invest in art, which we don't know who it'll touch, where it'll go. Um, but that is, that, is, that is what art has the power to do. And I hope that we can all take that and run with it and acknowledge it and honor it in every space and aspect of our lives. Well, after that, what else is there to say? You know what I mean? The, the, part, the part is done. <laughs> Listen, Danny, that was absolutely incredible. I, I could feel all jokes aside, though, I feel like I could talk to you all afternoon um, and we could we could get into everything. And the next time we have our conversation, we're really going to have to dig in to the music side. I think we got into the cerebral part of Danny, but I want to talk about like who was your favorite artist growing up, all those kind of things, and get into those pieces as well. So that means it, it feels like we need to do a part two. What do you think, Reggie? I think that sounds like a plan because I was going to say, what new projects are you looking forward to? <laughs> but I agree, Greg. Like, whew, that was, it was good. It was good. Absolutely. So before we get out of here, Danny, please let people know where they can they can touch base with you, where they can get in touch with you. Absolutely. You can um, find me. My website is dannyriverajr.com. Um, um, social media, Instagram, Danny Rivera underscore. That's a river with an A at the end. That's how you spell my last name. Twitter at Danny Rivera Boss, Boston. I'm not a boss. Um, uh, 
and then Danny Rivera on Facebook. And you can find all my music on uh, all streaming music platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, um, Pandora, the list goes on. Okay, great. So hopefully we get these streaming numbers up. Let's get them up, y'all. Let's get them up. That's how we're going to make it big. Come on. We got to take Boston to the next level. Absolutely. Danny, thank you so much for joining us on the Good Trouble Podcast. It's been incredible to talk with you. And uh, on behalf of myself, I will definitely say that this is not the, the last conversation. We sounds like Reggie agrees and we definitely have to queue you up for a part two. So we'll be talking to you again very, very soon, my friend. Thank you.